Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. I'm really going to call you Nick Houston if I make that joke. I can't pull it off. That is his name. I'm just Nick conserving Houston. my energy for the on-air personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, who's a little tired today. Nick Houston. And a little, and a little off cue as well. I think you might have fallen asleep. Nick, welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm here. I'm here, <laughs> and I'm awake. <laughs> because I'm excited about the podcast. We've got a special guest. We have a special guest today. We have Reverend Jeff Rogers of Northside Church. Mm, that's me and freshly minted inaugural shuffleboard champion of the Northside <laughs> staff here. I'm not tooting my own horn, but definitely letting everybody know that uh, I won Bill's tournament. Folks, we do a lot of good things, a lot of good hearted ministry. We study the scriptures. We are always preparing for ministry here at Northside Church. But every once in a while, we got to take a little break. And Bill set up this shuffleboard tournament. It went for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Jeff Rogers <laughs> is the greatest shuffleboard player on staff here at Northside Church. It's a burden to carry the title. You know, heavy <laughs> is the head that wears the crown, but... And I can't stress enough that you won Bill's shuffleboard tournament. Yes. It yes. was intentional that I included Bill's name. <laughs> the Dr. Bill Birch Invitational. <laughs> don't want that to be lost on anyone and listening. I'm, and I'm fairly certain Bill and myself, for that matter, went out in the first round. <laughs> yes. Is that right? Yeah. That's that 100% fact. That's 100% that, uh, fact. Of Bill course, you know, round. we weren't playing by the actual rules. And the scoring system was a little messed up, too. So I... I propose. Well, you can file a complaint with the official shuffleboard association of Northside Church, <laughs> which I think Jeff, you run now. <laughs> it, you know, that's just—it's like any church committee. You know, you win once, you're involved in a little way once, then you that's, run it. That's yeah, how that's we decide exactly right. who for the rest the of all time. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, how are you doing otherwise, other than your shuffleboard championship? How's how's things going for you? Man, life is life is good. No complaints over in my area. My daughter is cutting her first tooth oh. here, so uh, exciting times on the home front. I can re- uh, appreciate Nick's tiredness today after you know a couple of no doubt middle of the night wake ups. Oh yeah, but this is not that kind of tired. You're experiencing the, a whole other body of tired that I will not compare this to. I just <laughs> turned the heat on a few nights ago and have a little congestion. Um, yeah, but you got the four kid tired going on all the time. That's an underlying condition that. Uh, yeah, but they they sleep all night at least now. <laughs> so um, Charlotte, right? That's her name. Yeah, where did you get the name Charlotte from? It's just a beautiful name. You know, there are a lot of different ways to name uh, people. Is that right? And Is that some, right? <laughs> some folks, not just different names, but different philosophies. Philosophies of naming. in naming. Okay, yeah, uh, and some people work very hard to get biblical names. Some people work through you know what's popular. Some people go through name definitions me and my wife went through the complicated process of what do we like yeah yeah that is complicated can be and uh what's not going to become faux pas <laughs> mm-hmm. what's not trending now, now? you've added one too many steps to <laughs> you gotta go process. through the whole thing i just oh, no. when i named my daughter kyfer it was i was gonna name my child kyfer whether it was a girl or a boy my mother or my my mother's mother's maiden name and it was always gonna be kyfer it's beautiful kai Beautiful, beautiful story. I just I like know, the name Charlotte. Though. There That's are days I, I wondered if you'd have a son if um, he could have been James Johnson Jr. 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 <laughs> and that's what I would have called him. Jr. Jr. Do right. y'all remember uh, I Kim Possible? I don't want to go the third. I wanted to be Jr. Jr. <laughs> Jr. Jr. Did y'all ever watch Kim Possible? They had that, that character, Senor Senior Senior. Nope, no. joke lost on y'all. Yeah, There's somebody out there a different in the biological. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't realize how much younger than y'all I was, but that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, Our middle names are family names. I will say okay, that. Cool, it's not yeah. like I'm. Yeah. Right. 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 No, I think totally Charlotte's a great right, name. Yeah. Charlotte Rogers. That's a fantastic name. Um, I do remember that song. The first song I ever heard uh, when I was like four or five years old, growing up in Nashville. I was in Nashville. Um, just a swinging. Do you know that song? Just a swinging. Do you know that song? No. It's about a girl named Charlotte Johnson. Anyway. So. Jeff, you are uh, you're preaching this week. 
I'm preaching. You're this taking week. the pulpit this week. You, you are. Better, you, the mantle has been passed to you for this week, and you will be bringing the word of God to the people of Northside Church. Call me Elijah because I have a double portion of my predecessor's spirit. <laughs> <laughs> a little Bible joke out there. Dialogic disciple podcast. Well, would, this uh, is the just, right audience for that. <laughs> just avoid. Impossible didn't yeah. hit, but double portion of Elijah. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. That's just, funny stuff. I'm figuring out the field here. Right. Getting my getting my. Bears. Now, does that mean you have the ability to call down she bears from the forest to to attack? Uh, teenagers? Well, only if somebody insults me about my physical appearance, <laughs> yeah, right. my hair or lack thereof. But I got a, a beautiful head of hair, so I'm not worried like about that. like you're doing just fine. <laughs> Uh, we do have pictures up on, I guess, Instagram or Twitter. I don't know. Uh, we had some of the she bear. Yeah, no, 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 of us today, so people could could yeah, look yeah, at your yeah. hair if they wanted yes. to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I hope it's a good hair day. Can confirm <laughs> that's good hair. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> so, uh, I, so you you kind of gave us some notes to to fill out a little bit. We we're gonna t- get this podcast up before your sermon on Sunday. Uh, so maybe people will hear this before or they can come back to it maybe after your sermon um, and maybe get a little bit more of, uh, I guess, detail, get in depth with what you're going to talk about on Sunday. Yeah. You know, we talked uh, one of the early podcasts. You had me on the first time that I was a guest on Dialogic Disciple. We talked about preaching yeah. specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the questions was, where do you where do you come up with what you're going to preach on? Yeah. Oftentimes, I like to do it based on a scripture, you know, instead well, that's of interesting. Inst- well, you, you want know, to use the Bible. I, I do like the Bible. I'm a fan. Um, but there are different approaches. You know, you can do it starting with the topic. Sure. You can do it, you know, just doing lectionary. This one very much is uh, based on this passage from Exodus 34 itself. I okay. love the verses. I think they're important. And it has kind of come up in two different areas of my life. One was just noticing it as reading in Disciple. But the other was it was a specific focus in uh, the class I'm in for my doctorate yeah. right now. Okay. Um, it What's was that class? Of, so Old yeah, Testament. Just Old Testament. All right. Yeah. yeah. I like the basic names of the Old Testament. You know, uh, Dr. B, shout out to yes, Bob right. Figlio, who's he, been a guest he here. He has been a guest before. on this. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's, yeah. he's going to be teaching a class for us at some point uh, in, the ne- in the coming year. Uh, maybe during the season of Lent, I think is what we're looking at. But anyway, we'll, yeah. t- we'll talk about that another time. Um, so, so let me get let me get this straight. So you you got to pick a topic of your own choosing, anything, and you it was felt dealer's choice. I think were you, Bill's words. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, wow! So he's in between sermon series. You you better believe it. <laughs> okay. Well, we had All Saints last week, right? Great right. week, and then next week we're going to be looking at Thanksgiving before we jump into, into Advent. Advent. Yeah, exactly. Advent coming up. The whole mm-hmm. new church calendar year. I think we're in year C this year. Um, that doesn't mean anything to anybody, but uh, we don't even do lectionary stuff. What is that? The lectionary? Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Right. Like, how many years are there before it rotates back? There's three A, B, and C. So you you felt so you felt like you were moved toward this passage. So I love this passage, and it's just one of those that you know kind of keeps showing up in your life in various ways, and just one that I think is particularly important for uh, people to be able to understand. And kind of the topic uh, that it came up with in class is this idea of uh, how do we deal with God's wrath. In okay. the Bible specifically. And I know you just did uh, yeah. Lies My Preacher Told yeah. in Sunday School over the last couple of weeks. And one of those chapters from Strawn's book uh, is on this topic exactly. How do you wrestle with idea the idea of a wrathful Old Testament God and a, a gracious New Testament God? So that was kind of percolating in the back of my mind. And then I thought, what would be an accessible way to talk about this idea so folks can understand God's nature on a Sunday morning without having to unpack a multi-hour lecture. Right. Like, all right, let's really talk about God's nature and his wrath and Old Testament versus New Testament. But the beautiful thing about having a podcast here is that you get to have some of that deeper conversation sure, sure, sure. without having to unpack it in the 19-minute the slot on Sunday morning. So are you going to are you going to explicitly juxtapose like um this uh, this idea that we think that the New Testament God is gracious and the Old Testament God is is wrathful? Are you going to are you going to pull those two and kind of put them in 
in contrast to one another, or are you just going to jump right into uh, this passage or this handful of passages actually that you've, you've uh, prepared? But um, what, I mean, how are you going to go about doing that? What, what's been your strategy, I guess, as you've yeah, so I, I, what I want this to be about is what Exodus 34 teaches us. Okay. You know, what is God's nature? And if this is what God's nature is, how do we live that out? Yeah. Because our calling as Christians or people of God is to become more like God. Yeah. Okay. Right. To be sanctified. And if that's the case, what does it look like to be like God? This is God's nature. Yeah. Okay. So I, I come at it from that angle, but I think... As you read a scripture in front of hundreds of people and you finish by saying he punishes the children and their <laughs> children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I want to mm-hmm. I want to give a little bit of credence to that, but I'm going to try to tie a bow on that pretty quickly and yeah. not get into the weeds. OK. All right. Um, you're so you're, the, the, the main thing you're trying to get at then is you want to understand the passage, but you, you want to talk about what God is like. Yeah. And. That's important for us. Let's let's start our, our let's dive in by asking this question then. Why is it important for us to know what God is like? I mean, James going straight up undergrad theology <laughs> yeah, on us or know, philosophy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, why? What does it matter? What does it matter to us as disciples of Jesus Christ to know what God is like? Shouldn't we just be faithful and or just listen and obey? I mean, is there any value to understanding the character of God? I mean, if I just think about any kind of old process, if you're, if you don't have a target, you're just shooting a bow and arrow and hoping it hits yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in order for us to, in order for us to be faithful, in order for us to do what we're supposed to do as disciples, then we should know what God is like, or we have to know what God is like. Is that what you're saying? Or is, is that? There's a part of me that wants to say yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that. Understanding the attributes of God, I think, inform um, whether we believe or trust the promises of God. Right. Okay. So there are certain characteristics of God that need to be true in order for us to depend on him to do what he says he will do. Absolutely. Okay. And so if you if you understand the character of God to be different than what he says he is that could present problems and so how do you get at what he is right right um and, and, and certainly I, and i say he understanding that god has no gender right um you're with it certainly certainly uh that has been an issue in the past where god hasn't matched up with or people feel that god hasn't matched up with who god has told mm-hmm. us god is um and particularly i think of like uh you know uh, the the fallout from from the Holocaust, for instance, if we just wanted to go for the big home run. I don't know if we need to go that far. I think this Bible verse presents a paradox of God that makes it hard for some people to look at a God. I mean, we'll get in the weeds here since you won't do it in the sermon. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I'm hoping to. This is a God of loving kindness and compassion and full of mercy and grace who punishes the children for the whatever generation for the sins of the parents. Sure. That doesn't sound like the kind of God I want to be in cahoots with i think a lot of it has to do with um um, and jeff i want to let you get in here and answer this because you you've done you've done some research on this i'm sure you've been in the you've already been in the weeds on this for your sermon but I, i guess one of my questions would be in what way does god punish the, the future generations how does that system of punishment work you know is are there sins that are committed it, it basically he's talking about here we're talking about um and just to read the passage so quick. this Let, is jeff's answer no 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 i just, I just I, i'm this is i'm trying to frame a question I want, I want to frame a question but before we do that let me just let me kind of read the passage here and I, then you can read the passage. yeah yeah all right good it's your podcast uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> well i was gonna if you wanted to do it i was gonna let you do it but uh, this is what it says. So uh, this is uh, Exodus chapter 34, starting with verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God who is compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of great loyalty and faithfulness, showing great loyalty to a thousand generations, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, yet by no means clearing the guilty, punishing for their parents, punishing for their parents' sins, their children and their grandchildren, as well as the third and to the fourth generation. So that's the passage. That's the passage. And this this 
contextually comes right after the golden calf situation, right? So exactly, exactly. So I mean, if you if you remember your Exodus, um, which we we all do. <laughs> I think most people do know Exodus like 1 through 15, right? Until they can get through the Red Sea, right. people got a decent idea. And then they know chapter 20, right. 10, commandments. 10 commandments. Now, 20 through 30, you just got a bunch of laws uh-huh. for the most part. And then in 31 and 32, you get this giant apostasy yeah. by the folks. And they go wayward. It's the first step out of the gate, and they're going... The wrong direction right that is they made the golden calf an idol to worship exactly right moses checked out to speak to god for a minute comes back <laughs> and finds that his like his brother like and is one of the leaders of this melon right? farmers have made an idol and and aaron when moses confronts aaron his brother about it, who is leading the people he basically he sounds exactly like adam does in uh-huh. the garden of eden he's just like I was one me. (laughs) He just passes the buck as quickly as somebody possibly can. I just thought that was. I think there's something there, but um, yeah. So immediately the people were given these laws, and the first thing they do is break them. And the first response from God is, "I'm slow to anger. I'm merciful. I got steadfast love. I'm gonna forgive to this." thousandth generation right um that's the first word out of god's mouth in response in response to this thing but he throws in a caveat the second word (laughs) but if you're but if you're guilty i'm not just going to forget about that right i i wonder so to talk about that then i mean let's frame it like this uh to be guilty here is to have broken the law the law of God, the law of Moses, in particular the Ten Commandments. The first two, the, the yeah, most right, important exactly. two. And that, and that is a sin. If you're guilty of that, breaking those laws, uh, let's say not, not having, uh, having other gods before God and having idols that even if they represent God are wrong, um, the reason why God punishes to the third and fourth generation is those are kind of like systemic problems, right? Like if you, if you sure, as a father sure. and mother are worshiping an idol, your kids are going to grow up worshiping the same idol, right? Um, and so the guilt here, I'm wondering if, um, he's already said that he's a forgiving God, right? And he is a compassionate God, merciful God. That's the first thing that, that is the first thing he says. So to be guilty here means to have not recognized your sin and not confessed or, you know, I don't want to bring, I want to bring too much, I don't want to import too much, uh, just Christian theology into this, Sure. but to be guilty here is not if he's talking about already having forgiveness, already having forgiveness, then clearly he does forgive guilty people. But it's like as though if you remain guilty, if you remain, does that make sense? I don't know. What do you guys think? I, that was that's that is what I was gonna say. Okay. Is that you just keep on being guilty? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you are in this perpetual state of guiltiness. Yeah. And not seeking the forgiveness right. that God can give you. Right. Um. It, so, but the reality is, he says, like it. It's going to impact, you know, your your children, children's children, third, fourth generation. But that's just that's the reality in our life. Our decisions, we're all parents. What we do impacts our kids. Absolutely. Right. I mean, if if you're going to be faithful or unfaithful, if you're going to break any of the Ten Commandments, yeah, that is going to impact your kid's life. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. But. That doesn't change the fact that God is still a forgiving God. Right, right. There is something interesting to me about um, the passage describing God's forgiveness um, to a thousand generations, but your sins will be punished to the third and fourth. Right. And that I yeah. think I think that should automatically clue us in that that what's being done here is is poetic, right? This is poetic license. This isn't literal this isn't like we're not supposed to read this literally. We're supposed to we're supposed to juxtapose, right, God's okay. infinite mercy against his finite uh anger. Right? So when I do something something bad and I don't seek forgiveness for it, I shouldn't just be like, Oh well, sorry great grandchildren. <laughs> well and this doesn't it's just not write him a letter. <laughs> right. And I don't know, I think people kind of, we read this with a certain lens of our world today that sin is going to have 
direct implication on these great great grandchildren right. in a specific way and maybe even eternal damnation you know yeah, like i yeah. think some people are like oh god if i sin then i'm damning my family for generations and right. generations but that's that is not absolutely not in the yeah. scope of what this is talking about rather it's it's poetry yeah and when you try to make poetry f- formulaic it's just a mess right 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 um one of the things that came out of the study that we were doing with um, with the lies that my preacher told me, really breaking, getting into the, getting into the, uh, <laughs> well, anyway, getting getting into the law. We we got into the law and really uh, trying to figure out what what good is the law for us now as Christians, right? If it's this important for the Israelites mm-hmm. to keep, uh, that that if breaking it will cause this this systemic collapse within the family for generations. Uh, what does that mean for us? Because we clearly have kind of moved away from following most of the Old Testament law, right? Mm-hmm. We, we still like the Ten Commandments for the most part, but the rest of it, we kind of like, all right, we don't really need some most sure, of the sure. laws, right? One of the things that that, um, that came out of the discussion uh, in our class, though, was that that part of keeping the law is breaking the law. The law has within itself provision for forgiveness. That is part of the law. Like so, the law already knows that you're going to fail to keep the law a hundred percent. But part of keeping the law is just recognizing that forgiveness is built into the law. So break in a, in a weird way, breaking the law and then coming back to the law is keeping the law. That is already built into the system, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to think more. <laughs> about how does this play out as Judaism, you know, develops over time. Yeah. You know, there's other parts of the law, but there's also the prophets. Right. Right. And, you know, not to, uh, not to have a spoiler here, but there is a part in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31 where he essentially says, no, you're, you know, right before he talks about the covenant being written on somebody's heart. Right. Yeah. He talks about this individual retribution yeah you know that it's not that children's teeth are not set on edge because of sour grapes their parents ate right or whatever whatever Whatever, makes sense for old testament folks (laughs) yeah no and that's true that's absolutely true um i think um where do we want to take this um uh, so this idea, though, that 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 uh, that breaking the law is built into uh, keeping the law, I, I'm I'm curious as to how that might help us understand this this passage that you're that you're doing here, uh, that you're going to be preaching on, simply because that's that's kind of what this passage is is saying to us, right? I mean, like it, it is about the faithfulness of God and the mercy and the mercifulness of God and the forgiving nature of God, but if you refuse to return to God. Because what happens right after this, right? God reestablishes the covenant, you know, after like 15 minutes of being in the old one, you know, it, and not, not that there's an old new, but like he reestablishes or reaffirms the covenant uh, that, that, he had, that he had made with the people of Israel. So he automatically demonstrates that, yeah, you're guilty, but I'm going to forgive you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this covenant with you, right? Well, and that goes to the character of God in terms of this is God saying who he is, but then also behaving in a way that demonstrates that he's true to who he says he is. Um, and that gets back to what you were saying. Why Why is God, you know, why is it important for us to know who God is so we know we can trust him? Right. Because, I mean, that's, that is how I operate in everyday life. You know, people come to me and tell me who they are and what kind of character they have. Yeah. I go, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. James, Jeff, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm figuring, figuring it out. You're right. Right. And that's, and that's how we know who, that's how we know somebody in the first place, their actions, what they do, mm-hmm. not by what they say. Well, that's why there's so much distrust in so many public figures. Oh, right. Man. They, yeah, that's a good point. They speak in front of a crowd and they say one thing and then people will look at what they do and they, they question it. Yeah. Uh, but I am, I, I do love you mentioning what's followed up after this because Moses asks for God to go with them. Yeah. After, after he hears God's name, because what is this? This is actually God saying God's name. So it's not, God's character is wrapped up in it, God's name. And we could 
fan yeah, on that for if, a yeah, good break that, while. Break that down for a little, uh, a little bit. Let's yeah. talk about that. I think that's something that's you want to talk about. You know who God is and why God's important. Why it's important to who God is. Mm-hmm. God's name is the very beginning of who God is. So Jeff, if you don't mind, like we break that down a little. Yeah, because usually, like I wouldn't introduce myself and say, "Hi, I'm boss." Right, right. <laughs> and I, we oftentimes, I just it, that's one of the reasons why one of the Ten Commandments is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Is not and God is not the Lord's name. Right, that's kind of his job. That's position. That's who he who he is or what he does. This is the climax of where that uh, results in Exodus, because many folks know in Exodus three, when Moses says, God, who am I supposed to say is sending me to go and do this? God says, I am. am. Yeah. Or I am who I am or I will be who I will be, which are great translations, especially in reference to you, uh, Nick, your uh, idea that people got to show that you will be who you say you will be but as you go as you read over the course of exodus uh, you get these different pieces of who god is Uh, and i don't have them all listed in front of me but i'll i'll try to go off the top of my head and then you know the miriam song miriam song in exodus 15 you see god's name again and it's i am the god who got you out of slavery and then uh, you see God's name again in the Decalogue. Uh, and then in verse, in chapter 33, God's name is uh, one that has kindness and compassion. But if you had them all written down, you'd see almost one phrase added in at the end of each phrase. I am, I am the God who set you free. I am the God who set you free and delivered you from Egypt. Yeah. I'm the God who set you free and am sending a messenger with you. I'm the God of kindness and compassion. And then you put them all together at the end here and it enables this covenant to be set up yeah, yeah. with God's people. You know, that's interesting. I've, I've never, um, I wonder how, how much work has been. I'm sure a lot has been done. It, it, what it reminds me of is the I am statements from John. Right. And you oh, have, to parallel those. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's that be a connection be there. I would, I would love to see a parallel though. Like, uh, I wonder if, oh man, I wonder if, I wonder if, if Jesus is using metaphors that, that directly correlate with some of these. With each of those references? Yeah, I wonder. That'd be mm-hmm. interesting. Man. Even if he wasn't. Podcast could, is over. I got research to do. We could definitely. <laughs> we could make it happen, right? We could pretend that they're yeah, connected. Yeah. But there certainly I is know. a, certainly John, the book of John is, is making that claim and Jesus is making the claim yeah. that, that I am. I There's am, I am. Right? Yeah. And I think the last part, you know, as far as uh, my exegesis was concerned, I think it's interesting. All this name stuff gets wrapped up uh, in this verses six and seven. And then the guff covenant gets restored. The rest of Exodus is a list of, you know, the laws that they're reestablishing, how to worship, etc. And the very last verse of Exodus is how God's presence is with them every step along the journey. Do you have that? Yeah, I can pull James, it real quick. Right there. It's a, and it's very interesting. I read one commentator who said that it's almost as if actually getting to the promised land wasn't the point right. of what God was doing. That the point was just God's presence, the presence that is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast sure. love, forgiving, yeah. is with them because they have a covenant. So this and is, that's who God is. This is what ex- the last verse in Exodus, this is Exodus 40, uh, verse 38, says, The Lord's cloud stayed over the dwelling during the day and the lightning in the night and the lightning in in it at night, clearly visible to the whole household of Israel at every stage of their journey. That's cool. That's really cool. That idea that they don't, it doesn't matter where they are in the wilderness, in the promised land. The point is being able to dwell with God. And when you think about the fact that this book was probably, I don't know if your exegesis got, got this far or is this concerning at all, but um, the fact that they probably wrote this down while they're in exile or began to start doing that. Like that's that's a powerful message for people who have feel are like they're in exile. exile yeah, right? Right. That God, right. no matter where we are in our stage, right? And so if you wanted to apply that to the church, you wanted to apply that, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Like wherever we are, whatever whatever stage of life we're in, whatever stage of the journey, and whether we are 
you know, feel like we're on the right path or not on the right path, that God is there and present. He, God will always be who God says he's going to be. So the idea that we're supposed to mirror God's character. Yeah. So God's character is one that is always with us. So yeah. no matter where we are on the journey, God's character is with us and we can reflect that to the world. That was what I was fishing for earlier when I asked, why is it important for us to know who God is? Because we're created in the image of God, right? I mean, we're supposed to be reflections of God to the world and to ourselves, to each other. Um, and if we don't know who God is, then it's pretty hard to do that, right? Well, I love this passage because it that works as a, a Christian concept, but it also works with Exodus in and of itself. Right, right. So all encompassed just in this passage of Exodus, you see the whole message. But that is the same message that Jesus brings to us, right? And the presence of the Holy Spirit is always with us. Jesus is the name of God revealed for us to reflect to the world. I mean, this is just, this is the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Package in a different way. Yep. You know, God's just always trying to tell us who God is in <laughs> different ways. Exactly, like, yeah. I don't know if I get that one. <laughs> that's, that's my new, uh, one of my new, uh, phrases or, uh, I don't know, mantras. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, how do you say it? But anyway, one of my new things is, is, is understanding that the, the good news is old news. And I think that's one of the things that you, I think you've done a great job here of, of kind of unpacking this is not just Old Testament Exodus passage, but this is the gospel. This is, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? It's the word of God. Being created in the, in the image of God and going to the scriptures to understand who God is and to then understand who God um, wants us to be, like who we're trying to become. Yeah. And particularly in this Exodus passage and looking at the qualities of God and realizing that those are the kinds of qualities I need to aspire to as well. Yeah. Um, I think the toughest one for me is that forgiveness to the thousand generation. I may, I may be saying it wrong. Um, what I would have guessed would be hardest for most people. Uh, maybe I just want y'all reactions on this yeah. is slow to anger. Yeah. That's like the first one, mercy, compassionate and gracious and then slow to anger. You think that's surprising because we, we don't think, I don't think it's surprising. I just think that's probably, if you're trying to emulate okay. God's, uh, uh, nature, yeah. being slow to anger is like, as I talk to parishioners, like anger is definitely one of those. See, and I was yeah. gonna say the forgiving part. For me, the harder part would be yeah, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and both of those are about responding to injustice, right? Both sure, of those are about responding. Sure. So, and 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 what's what's great about well, not great, but what what. What we should keep in mind about the slow to anger piece is that it doesn't say never angry. Sure. Right? That's another part. Well, and, that's, you, and that's true for us, too. Right? If we're talking about in terms of who we are as a reflection of God, anger isn't always wrong. I mean, anger is part of Because being, you mentioned injustice, and that's one of the things we landed on in class, too, is like, would you want a God that is incapable of being angry? Or, or do you want a God that gets upset that there's sin in the world? Right. Our God is not indifferent. And that's pretty awesome. I mean, that, that is, mm. that is one of the, re that's what, that's one of the key difference between the God of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible and, you know, the gods of, of the God of, free, of Greek philosophy that we mm. also try to merge mm. together with Hebrew gods, right? The God of Aristotle and Plato is an indifferent, uh, detached, unpassionate, dispassionate God, right? And that's what people say they love. They're like, I want a personal relationship with right. Jesus. Well, guess what? personal people that you have a relationship with care yeah they have exactly. their own cares and jesus gets upset he gets angry when we are when we are constantly and consistently refusing to return and and just continuing in the life of sin particularly after we know after we know that we're sinners you know i just had a thought oftentimes people talk about jesus getting angry and the go-to example is flipping over the tables right but maybe jesus is just as angry with these pharisees that he's always talking about being like, 
And he's using these different parables. He's like, here's the parable of the Good Samaritan, talking about what a lousy person you are, Pharisee. Yeah. Uh, He's just more creative in his anger. (laughs) And his anger, his anger isn't yelling. His anger is gentle reproach. Yeah, that's good. So how got, how Jesus handles his anger? Um, maybe a closer read. It's exactly that's really good. It's yeah, exactly it's slow, like yeah. Exodus thirty four. I think that's awesome. Um, Loading and 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 there's many times in the in the New Testament in the Gospels where it says Jesus was indignant with his disciples. I mean, like he was, he's using metaphors talking about the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. I mean, he's not he's not unangry. You know, he's not and he's that's, not indifferent. He's not indifferent. I think that's the best. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. we were. You wouldn't want a God that was indifferent. Because a God who doesn't get angry at injustice also doesn't care about you, you in pain. Mm. You know, he's, mm. he's the fact that you're suffering. God is not, you know. Not a lot of call to pray to that God. No, exactly. You wouldn't have to. And if you did, it wouldn't matter. Right. <laughs> um, so, I, I think... It takes a little digging to get to like why why is it okay for that last part to be in there? You know, the part yeah. about punishment. Yeah. Like, oh, do we do we want that? It's like, well, we don't want anything bad to happen to our children. Right. That's a horrible thought. But we don't want a God who's indifferent Absolutely. even more. Because I'm willing for something bad to happen to my child if it helps put them on a better path. Absolutely. And that's the point of punishment in the first place, right? I mean, punishment in the Old Testament is about correcting the direction of the people. And God has a, and and that's one of the other issues that we have as contemporary American Bible readers, is that we're always reading it for ourselves, for individuals. Like, what does it mean for me and those who are closest to me? And but in in the Old Testament, That's what my life application Bible does exactly. Jay. Well, <laughs> well, let me let me let me bust that bubble because God thinks generationally in the Old Testament. He thinks about a whole people across time, uh, of which we are a part. So, punishing a generation of people is not to say that God doesn't care about the people or even that generation. It's about the fact that if you God is trying to direct a whole big project here that started a long time ago with a guy named Abraham, right? And and here we are today. And that he he like you said, like you you wouldn't you would not be averse to punishing your child if it helps him get her back on the right path. God is exactly the same way, except for he's thinking about a people across generations. Um and corporately, right? Like he's thinking of multiple generations down the road. God's thinking about multiple generations down the road and thinking horizontally as well in the same way that if you think about any organization that you oversee you're like oh some people are not gonna like this decision but i see a better vision yeah for my absolutely organization and i'm gonna lead it in this direction when what if what if we you know we're all parents here what if we thought about how we punish our kids in generational terms what if we thought when we when we're trying like Kiefer, she is she is uh, she's a great kid, but she's got a lot to learn, right? She needs a lot of correction, right? But what if instead of thinking about just correcting her, I'm also thinking in the back of my head, you know, not in the forefront, obviously. Uh, but what if I'm also thinking like I'm not just correcting her, I'm correcting her kids because she's mm-hmm. going to pass along that punishment or pass along that lesson that she's learned, right? And their yeah. kids and their kids, right? The we old- are all products of generations before us. That you know has has kind of has passed down, so you know I don't that's oh, yeah. that's a fascinating. I have definitely heard my parents' voice come out of my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was probably their parents' voice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we kind of work around here. So to punish the third and fourth generation, I don't, I don't think that God is like waiting around for them to show up and then like, all right, hey, your grandfather did this, blah blah, <laughs> right? Like you were saying before. Thank goodness, like uh, Jeff stole that thing from the <laughs> convenience store. <laughs> 120 years ago, (laughs) and now you're going to be missing a pinky when you're born. All right, so Jeff, you uh, you you do have a, a few other passages here that you kind of told us. Are you going to preach on these passages as well? Are you going to use them as as highlight, or or is it? I would like to, you know, but that's the thing about working on a sermon you get all of this content and you're like how far down you know like do i want to reference three minor prophets in a sermon uh that would be a, probably a record 
Rogers. Absolutely. Uh, probably I will not be able to, but I think it's relevant for Northside because, uh, first of all, we just did a Ten Commandments yeah. sermon series. I am going to reference that. Yeah. But we've also done uh, Ezra Nehemiah series with the Welcome Home thing. Yeah. And Nehemiah uh, talks about God's nature here. We've also done a Jonah sermon series. Yeah. And so I pulled out for our conversation today the Nehemiah reference and the Jonah one in case we wanted to to bring it up because they come at this same nature of God from different, different angles. angles. Yeah. Um, and you see that all throughout the references of it. I, I, I'm particularly interested in um, the Jonah one because yeah. it, it's not often that we get upset that God is compassionate. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to, if we don't, if we have a, Ooh, we have I'm a few like, minutes here, uh, left. I really like the way it gets into just, uh, for me, that's like the grit of real human emotion Yeah. that sometimes you are just mad at people and you don't understand why God's going to let them off the hook. Right. It just feels like, no, they earned this. Right. And you're a loving God. So you're going to save them. <laughs> I... I can identify with that. Yeah, no, I think we all can. I think we all can. Um, and that's another feeling or another way of thinking about God that is itself generational. It gets passed through generations. Um, and it, I don't know, what, what were you, Jeff, as you were thinking about the Jonah passage, how, how did you see it in conversation with Exodus? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, it's at the end where Jonah has been told to go and preach to these Ninevites, right? The enemy. And uh, at a certain point, uh, he, he, I got to backtrack. My yeah, brain is ahead, going, I, something just hit my brain about Jonah, a way to interpret it that's uh, different. And I was just remembered it, but I can't remember. I remember that I should be reading it different. I just can't remember exactly <laughs> what that way is. So I'm going to go with what I used to think. Jonah's called to go and preach to the Ninevites and he doesn't want to do this, right? right? He does not want to preach to Ninevites. And at the end, and it, but just to kind of, just to put it, the reason why we think he doesn't want to preach to the Ninevites as a, as a dramatic kind of device is he's afraid he's going to get killed. Right. Or right. It, that's they're what gonna we're told like in Sunday preaching school. And they're going to reject murdered. him. He's going to be murdered. Like, that's yeah. what we're told in Sunday school. So right. It's fear for his life. But then chapter four shows up and that's where your passage shows up, Jeff. And what's the real reason? Right. Jonah doesn't want them to be saved. Yeah. Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. Right. They're the enemy. They're the oppressor. And so Jonah comes in and he's like, God, I don't, you're supposed to be loving and compassionate. I don't want that for my enemies. Right. I want that punishment to the it's in a, third it, and fourth generation. Yeah. It's an amazing turn, uh, like a dramatic turn in the story itself where you're like, number one, Jonah has a lot of confidence in his ability to preach, right? <laughs> or, or he just has a lot of confidence. He knows that when the word of God goes out, it's going to have impact, God. right? He's right. got a lot of confidence in God, and he knows what God's going to do. God's going to forgive him. He doesn't want that, right? Yeah. And he gets all pissy about it, right? He gets ticked. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it, well, and that he has so internalized that character of God, yeah. of God's forgiveness, that he knows they'll be forgiven. Yeah. But I think the problem is also that he's so internalized the character of the Ninevites, mm. right? He is so, and it's all through his perspective, like all through his uh, selfish nature. Like he, all he really cares about is himself. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a very contemporary kind of modern way of looking at the Jonah character. But this is his, his, his when we, when we think about uh, Jesus saying something like love your enemies, which is not a phrase I think that appears in the old Testament at all. And yet that's exactly what Jonah, the story of Jonah is about, right? It's a story about loving your enemies, proclaiming the gospel, knowing that they're going to be saved or, or that they're going to turn back to, or they're going to turn to God. Um, all that Christian terminology seeps into my, my speaking, but I'm a Christian, so it works out. That's what I was trying to accomplish with Jonah, though. Like to your, to your. Are end. you going to use that in the in your sermon? No, I'm not. Oh man, well, I want to. You didn't want to go for the stats, bro. Most go minor go prophets the used go in a 17 the minute sermon. <laughs> I mean, it it also shows up in Nahum. It shows yeah, it up is everywhere. In, uh, I mean, it's Which all. Made, it, it tells us what it tells us. It's, it's a liturgical Psalms. understanding of God, right? I mean, it's 
Well, that's the that's why I ended up really liking. I never read those minor prophets before until we did them in Disciple, and I was like, "This is good stuff." Oh yeah, oh yeah. I really liked reading them you know, for that reason because it reveals that character of God. It absolutely. And I, you know, I told something to the, the class this uh, the old the uh, the Sunday school class that I teach. By the way, all of us Sunday school teachers too. Thank you guys for teaching yeah. Sunday school. Anyway. Uh, the Sunday school class that I teach on Sunday, we you know doing this Old Testament class, basically, the the point of one of the things that came out of that, another thing that came out of that is basically Jesus says that if you if you read and listen to the the law and the prophets, you don't need anything else. Mm-hmm. The, and let me say that again: mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't add anything to the law and the prophets. Uh. He embodies it. He embodies it. He fulfills it, but he doesn't add anything. If you truly read the law and the prophets, you Mm. don't need Jesus. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. It's quite a line to walk with. That's literally what Jesus says. So people, I know a lot of Christians who are like, um, a lot of Christians who are concerned about the Jews, right? But if you have a Jewish folk, a, a true Jewish folk who are really embodying the law and the prophets, they might be okay. But what if they don't have the law and the prophets or Jesus, James? Well. <laughs> I, I do like that idea, though, because I think... There's something to it. There, I think there's a lot of... I don't even know how to describe it besides saying supersessionism that seeps yeah. into our Bible, our contemporary Bible studies where people will read uh, the Old Testament and New Testament in conjunction with one another in such a way that makes people feel pity towards yeah. Jewish folks. Yeah. Um, and, and on one hand, it's like, that's a, it's great that they want to support their Jewish brothers and sisters in the best way they know how. Sure. On the other hand, it definitely undermines what the Jewish folks think. Absolutely. And believe. But I love that idea that we can point to what Jesus says. Jesus himself says, right. And say, this is, they have the same thing. They, and they do. I mean, and that's the whole point, right? Well, that, that they have the word of God in the prophets, in the law. And that's what Jesus is. He's the word of God. And that's what it means to, when it, what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. What it means to call upon the name of Jesus is simply to call upon the word of God that is already existent in its entirety in the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus is trying to say. It's only when you get to the book of John where he's like even being exclusive about that. He's I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what does it mean to say I am in that book? It means that he is the word of God embodied mm-hmm. in the flesh. I think it's uh, it, getting to that point on Sunday, because that was, that was kind of an extra thing that was not really in the book, or at least it wasn't fully expressed the way that I was thinking about it in the book. Oh, uh, you're talking about, this is your last. This is from the Sunday. Yeah, my preacher told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... Uh, Getting to that, that that over the past few days has really kind of stuck in my crawl, so to speak, because mm-hmm. uh, there's something mm-hmm. to that that I think, um, man, it has profound implications for how we think of God and who God is. Well, well, you know, and to keep on with this theme of like at the end of Exodus, you have God present with the people yeah. all the time. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'll I'll be with you always. Yeah. Here's yeah. the Holy Spirit with you always. And so it's, um, it's the same message, but even, even more accessible, maybe not even more like accessible in a, a whole fresh way for us. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how it's, to say it's that. In how the do you... flesh, right? So there's still something to the incarnation, right? Obviously we still believe that. And the resurrect, the death and resurrection of Jesus is very important. Um, but it doesn't mean that Jesus supersedes the Old Testament, I think is what I'm really trying to get at, right? Well, that's the... He's just embodied. I think what we're learning about the character of God from this is that how many thousands of years of history are we covering across Scripture, and God's message remains the same. Right, right. Like God's faithfulness Mm. to the forgiveness and compassion and mercy, but also the justice and punishment, because that doesn't go away with Jesus either. It doesn't, you're right. Jesus talks more as about hell and <laughs> judgment um way more in the old testament yeah right because the hell doesn't even exist in the old testament right i and mean to, to be punished by god in the old testament <laughs> is to die which is not good but <laughs> a lot of people read the new testament and say if you get punished in the new testament you get punished forever right right, right. whether or not it actually means that or not is, is a debate but I, if you had your choice of like all right you messed up nick and you gotta receive a punishment do you want to die 
or do you want to burn for, um, eternally? for eternally? I, you get to pick, buddy. Which one do you want? Door number so one or door that, number two? That point as we talk through kind of what we see of God in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, I'm kind of like, nah, bro, it's the same. <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? You want to. That's exactly right, yeah. What folks say is they say the God of the Old Testament is mean, the God of the Old Testament is loving. And that's just. That's just not a close reading of scripture. But and 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 to be fair, that's our fault. We're the, we're sitting here as leaders in the church, people who teach. I just say we're Sunday school teachers. If the people in our church think of God that way in the Old Testament, it's because we have failed them as teachers. You are doing a project. You are working on a project like that about biblical authority, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, especially with Northside, uh, one thing we're going to be doing in the next year is really going through scripture. Specifically, we're going to be reading through the New Testament yeah. over the course, one one chapter at a time every day uh, over the next year, and we'll launch that. But I, I believe that our ability to understand uh, and interpret scripture and understand how other people are interpreting it is at the heart of almost every disagreement we have church at large. And I think everybody has their own implicit interpretation, uh, but you might not realize it and you don't realize how that interpretation plays out in particular issues. And so we're going to be doing some work over the coming year uh, to help folks understand how they interpret the Bible, but also understand how their neighbor sitting yeah. next to them in the Sunday school class is reading the Bible himself or herself uh, how to be empathetic to that and how they can be empathetic yeah as that james johnson he reads it different sometimes i tell you what i hear that a lot (laughs) 2022 is going to be the year of the bible here at northside church if people understand how james johnson reads it and if people understand how nick halston reads it and they're like oh those are just two different ways i know both those dudes and they're both faithful they both understand the gospel the word of god and what it means to be christian they just do this one thing differently, and so that's why they disagree on A, B, and C. And yet we can still have a podcast together and worship in the same pew. Mm, come on. Relationship. Regularly. Man, it turns out it might all be about relationship. All right, well, we are out of time. Thank you guys so much for joining us this afternoon. I hope that, uh, Nick, you get some rest, and Jeff, I hope uh, everything goes well at home. I don't know. I hope you get some rest as well. I don't know. Well, I just remember Charlotte was sick or something. Early I, in the I said way. she's getting a tooth, and then we kept talking about sleeping. Right, right, that's, right. That's the whole thing. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining Man, us. Man, I time love always being on here. Love theological conversations. Love our church. We are looking forward to hearing you preach on Sunday morning. Looking forward to preaching. All right, guys. See you next week. Peace. Good night, night, Northside.